Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this week's podcast, we'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Just in time for the World Series, we talk to former baseball star and current TV analyst Keith Hernandez. Little did they know what they brought into this world when they brought in the computer and how it's changed everything. And uh, the game has become uh, too much statistic-oriented. We will have more of our interview with former baseball player Keith Hernandez in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams And again, let's start with the topic that has really dominated sports and the NFL and players kneeling during the national anthem. Again, that controversy of not standing is front and center. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell wants the players to all stand, and he's not making it a requirement. We believe that our players should stand for the national anthem. That's an important part of our our game and our moments, and we believe in that. The question comes down to, and I hate to break it down like this, but This is a money issue for the NFL because it could impact teams if players decide to kneel and fans decide not to spend their dollars with that team. Yeah, of course it's a money issue. They're looking at the TV ratings, which are down somewhat about 7% since last year, but up the last couple of weeks. So let's see which way that trends. Little known fact, Michael Barr, though, that our Edmund Novi Williams is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. And I think we've seen a little turn here, Eben. Your owner... Shad Khan may have given us a glimpse that things are changing from the ownership perspective. Shad Khan has been very outspoken uh, against Donald Trump. No coincidence that he's the owner that is doing this. Uh, he's a self-made billionaire. He's an immigrant. Uh, he's Muslim. These are a lot of communities that are that are not too happy with, with Donald Trump at the moment. Um, but there's no question that we're starting to see a little bit of pushback. Yeah, but the uh, point he NFL made was... The Donald po- Trump is jealous. D- Donald Trump, he's the president of the United States, but he says he's jealous because he doesn't have an NFL team. But the league did something that was pretty unique, and that is they brought in, and I think for the first time, they brought in players, union reps, all and to talk with the owners, all to talk about this issue. And the union would tell you and the players would tell you, where has this been? What we've wanted is a seat at the table to discuss the issues. What can we do with the platforms we all have? Look at J.J. Watt, what he did in Houston. He raised how much money? I don't even know. He tried to raise like 500000 and he wound up raising like $20 million. I don't even know what the number yeah, was. Yeah. But one player was able to do that. Imagine the collective power of all of the stars. That's what they want to see. Are, they, are the players starting to realize that they kind of have a lot of this leverage now and this power? It seems like kind of a more recent thing in, in the past. Well, the leverage years. comes from the fact that this, as a CBA measure, they are not required to stand. It would be very interesting to see what would happen if, let's say, Jerry Jones told one of his guys or suspended, as he said, if you don't stand, you don't play. Well, something tells me the players understand that the CBA does not require them to stand. That would be a battle where they have leverage. This is a topic that is not going away anytime soon. Another topic. And it's weird to say it now. Former University of Louisville basketball coach Rick Pitino. He has sued Adidas, or Adidas, wherever you are on the planet, saying he was unaware that the sportswear company allegedly funneled money to the family of a recruit, as prosecutors claimed last month. Yeah, I don't think it's a location thing, Michael. If you're talking soccer, it's Adidas. If we're talking every other sport, it's Adidas. So, interesting here in that, Eben, Rick Pitino was always a Nike guy. 
Then he goes to Louisville, which had all their other teams decked out in Adidas. And the athletic director or ex-athletic director, Tom Jurich, told him, Rick, we need continuity. We need, no pun intended, uniformity. So come on board with Adidas. So he took a little less money. He has a contract with Adidas. The school has a contract with Adidas. Not surprising that the first thing Rick does, it goes after it. This is a total, it's a, it's a mess and it's a, it's a web. You can't really untangle Rick Pitino from Louisville from Adidas. I mean, Adidas made it clear when they gave them a $160 million contract this year that Louisville was the most important piece in their college properties. Uh, and Rick Pitino, he was paid on the side by Louisville as well. Uh, he was the most important coach in, in the Louisville, in the Adidas collegiate properties. Uh, this is an absolute mess. Uh, I imagine there's going to be more lawsuits. Rick, Rick Pitino, if he is going to claim that he's innocent, that he did not know that all these bri- briberies, et cetera, were happening, uh, he has to go after the people uh, that are saying he did. Um, and, and Adidas is part of this lawsuit. Adidas was the one, in some ways, they were, they were helping mo- funnel the money to players. Uh, he's going after them to try and clear his name. Worth noting, the lawsuit came a day after they severed the contract with Rick Pitino. Definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah. And the WNBA is moving into Las Vegas. They're joining the NHL and the NFL. And it's a very shrewd move for, w- for the WNBA. And for MGM. I mean, that's the new owner. That's what I look at. Who owns this? And it's now MGM. And they have an arena. And what they need is things to fill the arena. You need dates. And there are only so many concerts and shows uh, that can that can command the attention. You have a hockey team, and now you're going to have a WNBA team. This is all about events and content. So MGM making a move. I mean, the days now of how 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 many teams now? It's we wonder what took so long, and now they have said <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to have a team in Vegas. No big deal. It's just Las Vegas. Yeah, the, the casino ownership is not new to the WNBA. The Mohegan Sun has owned the, the Connecticut team for a while now, but there's no question that we're continuing to see. That, that strict line that used to exist between the gambling industry and the professional sports industry, we're just chipping away at the edges in that in every possible way. It's, it's that little march, right, Evan? Next is sports betting. Federally exactly. regulated, legalized sports betting, which will be that next great revenue stream for the leagues and teams. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi-Williams. And now Scott and I speak with baseball analyst and former star player Keith Hernandez, a five-time All-Star. Keith, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I wanted to start with sports as business. When did you, as a player, first realize that this wasn't all fun and games, that sports was, for you now, a business? Well, it always remained uh, fun fun and a game. Uh, but you do realize, I think, after your first trade, and I was fortunate. I mean, I only was traded once, and I was let go when I was older by the Mets. I spent my last year in Cleveland, and, and that was a whole different per ball game. But I think when you... Um, on your first trade, you know, you come up in the minor leagues, you have a sense of loyalty with the ball club. And uh, for me, I, I played, you know, two and a half years in the minor leagues and eight and a half years in St. Louis. That's over a decade with the organization. And then you uh, get traded. I think you realize you've had kind of a naive perception of the game, of, of the profession, and there is a business side to it. I mean, obviously, when they trade you, they uh, want someone else. So they're not uh, happy with you, and you feel rejected. So I think that's the big cold shower, but uh, you move on. You know, it's part of life. 
Do you get the sense that players today, because not only sports business has become part of the consciousness of fans alike, do they get a sense earlier in their careers, perhaps even while they're in college or minors, that it is a big business and they better treat it as such? Well, they certainly know it's a chance to make a lot of money and, um, you know, to be put over the top. I mean, one contract, uh, they can make more money than than I made. Are they made? They make more money. Well, I I made. I, I can't do the math, but but this is funny. I love the, when players do this. Tell what was your top salary? Uh, I I made two million, which was top salary when I retired. So today, two million dollars is maybe a backup second baseman. Is that right, or am I stretching it too much? It's more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's the player that's probably a two-year guy or three-year guy, a two-year guy that can't go to arbitration. Uh, or you know a mediocre player that's gone to arbitration, but I think the lesser salaries are four million. And uh, but you know it, it's all relevant. I mean, uh, I think that they're aware that uh, there's a great opportunity for them to uh, take care of themselves financially the rest of their lives. And um, you know if they're married, their families, and eventually they will be married. So uh, I think that in that sense, if that's the business side of it, I don't know. Uh, they still got to play the game. You got to perform to make the money. It's one thing to play in St. Louis, which obviously is a big market, but it's another thing when you come to New York. Can you talk about that experience when you come to the biggest city in the U.S.? Well, it's the number one media market, and uh, the Northeastern fans are an entirely different breed of cat. Uh, you got Philadelphia, Boston. And New York, and uh, they are rabid fans. Um, they'll boo you, although they never booed me in New York because I played so well, and we were we were so good. Uh, it was a, you know the golden years, the golden eight, the seven years I was there in New York. Uh, but there's definitely a difference, and fans uh, are different throughout the country. They're you know regionally the Midwest. I can experience with St. Louis. They're just they're just as uh, loyal and uh, and pulling for the home team. But in New York, at the spotlight and the media glare, uh, the attention, it is uh, something different. And some guys can handle it, and some guys can't. You're right about Mets fans being extremely loyal. My father-in-law is a diehard Mets fan, and he found out that I was going to talk to you, and he's like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. you got to ask him this and ask him this. It's like, okay, thank you, Dad. I appreciate it. But the point of the matter is you're right. The Mets fans are seem to be far more appreciative, uh, shouldn't say this, than Yankees fans. Well, I don't know about that. Yankees have had more success. Uh, they, I, I call Met fans long-suffering Met fans. Um, there's been more bad years than good, and uh, it always seems like Murphy's Law over there in, New, uh, in Metland and Flushing. I mean, the Yankees, what they're doing this year is really remarkable, and uh, my hats are off to the front office, Brian Cashman. Uh, it's not easy to rebuild a team. They had a wonderful team that had a wonderful run, and they all got old at once. And the Yankees haven't stayed down for long. Uh, they are a top-notch organization that starts with their scouting. Um, they draft people. They make trades uh, for young people. They develop them. And in this case, you know, the Yankees have made 
uh, have some veterans on the team that they traded for. Obviously, they made big trades in July at the deadline to really put them over the top. But, you know, they've also developed Sanchez and, and Judge, uh, th- those kind of players. And then they come to New York and they seem to thrive uh, for some reason. So there's something, there's a positive mojo over there in the Bronx. We're going to get back to Aaron Judge in a little bit, but I want to ask you about that coming to New York and thriving in general. There's no way of knowing, is there, which players will sink and which ones will swim? Do you have any litmus test for, I think this guy can be good in this market? You know, you can ask questions and inquire, and I'm sure general managers do. I remember reading an article about Frank Cash and when he made the trade for me, and Frank was also involved in one of the greatest trades in baseball history when he traded uh, was involved in that Milk Pappas trade for Frank Robinson that brought Frank to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Frank said that we knew we were getting a great player, but we didn't know we were getting uh, a leader, the leadership qualities. That was something that was just a bonus. And he felt that Frank Robinson was the one that turned the Orioles into a mentally tough team. He drove his team. And he was also making the comparison to my trade. So it's hard to figure out if you get a bad apple. You could get a bad apple. Someone with a bad attitude, you just don't know. You know there's always rumors running around. But um, some players just like to go out and play and don't give anything else except their performance on the field. And sometimes, a lot of times, that's good enough. But then there's players that uh, give more and uh, to, to the team, and that that that's a hard commodity to find. You know, uh, when you get that, it's it, it's like the mother load. Keith, we teased at Aaron Judge. I've run out of adjectives for this guy. I mean, he goes on this big strikeout streak. People get a little down on him. Then he's popping balls out of the yard again. Give me your take on what he has accomplished and what he means not only for baseball, but for the New York Yankees. Well, he's a uh, budding superstar. Uh, he's going to probably, either he or Altuve are going to be their most valuable player. And, you know, you can't, the votes are already in. This postseason has nothing to do with uh, the MVP voting. Who would get the Keith Hernandez vote? Oh, boy, it's a tough one. Uh, uh, that, that, that either one is worthy of the award, and one of them is going to be disappointed. So we'll see. I'm actually very curious to see how the voting turns out. You've got a guy that can be, as a rookie, you know, hit a home run leader as well as a an MVP. It's kind of Mickey Mantle kind of stuff. And um, uh, what does he mean to baseball? Well, he's another guy that baseball can uh, make as their face of the game. He's, he carries himself very well. He's very humble. He's not uh, a braggadocio at all. That's what impresses me. Um, you know, we had the bad slump, and after the All-Star break, ran a little over a month, and uh, he broke out and had a great September. That's always a positive sign. For him to get off to such a terrible start, I mean, I've never seen anybody have such a bad start with the strikeouts and the, the one, one for 20, whatever it was. And to see him persevere, I mean, these are all uh, signs of a very strong uh, uh, mind, a very uh, tenacious individual uh, that doesn't quit. So that's what's been most impressive 
to me. Uh, he's got a beautiful swing. I've always liked his swing. He's a classic cleanup hitter. I don't buy the saber metric uh, of hitting uh, your best hitter in a two-hole. He gets more chances to drive in runs and more bats. I don't buy it. Um, the game is turned to power, and, uh, but and he certainly delivers that. Um, he's a he should be in that four hole. You got guys like Gardner who are, should be hitting up in the one two hole, and your best hitter, your third hitter, which I think eventually could be Bird, another guy the Yankees have developed that looks very impressive to me. Uh, this is the ball club now that is going to be good for. A good stretch now. I mean, and they seem to have the Yankees seem to just have it. They've, you know, he's Aaron Judge. They've got the people out there in the in the chambers, and um, here comes the Judge, and everybody's wearing the wigs. It's it's someone that it, it's it's a PR's dream, the team's dream. Plus the fact that this won't go to this kid's head. I I just think he's got his he's he's firmly planted in the ground. He's not going to get overwhelmed. And become a fathead, and uh, forget his roots. Uh, so this is just really good for baseball. Good for the Yankees. Yeah, newsflash: You would shuffle the batting order. He won't become a fathead, but he's going to sell a lot of fatheads because everybody <laughs> wants him on the wall. This Ruthian character, and that's what I mean about the business side of baseball. I see New York playgrounds. I see kids wearing Leo Messi jerseys, Neymar, Steph Curry. All of a sudden, while baseball is trying to figure out a way to connect with kids, and it's about digital, and it's about iPods, you know what it's about? It's about this larger-than-life character hitting home runs. Mm-hmm. All I see all around New York City are kids wearing number 99 jerseys. You said it's a PR, it's a PR gift. It's a dollars and cents gift, too, no? Uh, no question. I mean, baseball is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and... Um um, they want to keep it going, and they need stars. And you know what better place than New York to have someone like him? He's the he's the modern day Babe Ruth. Okay, I mean, 50 home runs. I don't care. I mean, I feel the ball's juice this year, big time. Uh, uh, they want home runs. The commissioner's office, they know what they're doing. But 50 home runs is 50 home runs in any league. And uh, he's there's never been anybody like him. The closest thing I can think is Frank Howard. Of the old Washington Senators and lost and Los Angeles Dodgers and Frank was six eight and a big guy but Judge is uh, two seventy I don't think Fondo was uh, two seventy and and very light uh, athletic uh, plays good defense uh, he's just I think he's the modern day Babe Ruth I just I just feel that Babe Ruth when he came in in the dead ball area era he he transformed baseball. Uh, with the home run, and I think that this kid is doing the same thing in modern times. Keith, how do you watch your games when you're at home? There's that big debate of at home versus at the stadium. You love the 70-inch TV or on the go? Do you love it on your iPad and your phone? I still have, uh, I think, the best picture. I still have the uh, plasmas, and they're they're big. Um, So I like the big screen, like the HD. It's incredible. Uh, but I do eat out a lot, and I do have to watch the Mets play uh, when I'm working the 110 games that I do in the course of a season. And when I'm off, I get usually get you know 10, 12 days off, come out around four or five chunks of that. Uh, I have to watch the Mets and see what's going on, and um, 
I'll bring my iPad to the restaurant and I'll watch on my iPad. But I prefer to watch on my big, big TV. <laughs> now that's a big change because back in our day when I watched the Mets, when I watched you play, I had an old analog TV and it was like about, oh, about maybe 16, 17 inches. Yeah. Now today, like you said, you can watch the game on an iPad or any digital device. Can you talk about that, how viewing has changed in sports, not just in baseball? Well, it's just another, another avenue of, 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 of ownership uh, in the leagues and all sports to get the fans to watch their sport. Uh, people have to work. You know, people go out to dinner. People go out and barbecue, uh, go to the beach. Uh, you can bring it along and you can kind of keep track. It keeps, them, it keeps them interested in the team. And I think that's the ultimate goal of viewership. Uh, they want viewership, and they want people in the there people to come to the ballpark. Want to come to the ballpark? Want to go there now with the ball, with all the stadiums now. It's like a, it's like a state fair, which I'm, I understand the the uh, the business part of it there, and that's to me where it's real business. And people, you know, are not in their seats; they're up in the bars, in the restaurants. Uh, walking around the stadium, they got TVs everywhere, so you can walk around the stadium and still watch the game and not miss the action. And they're uh, spending their money, and you know it's their choice. It's, no one's got a gun at their head saying, "Hey, you got to buy this, you got to do this, you got to do that." Uh, so, in that extent, uh, the game is uh, really gone overboard a, a little bit business-wise, but I understand. I don't think it helps. I think people have low attention spans today, and I think this adds to it. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, we went to the ball game, saw the Giants play in San Francisco. We had to sit in our seats, and we watched the game. And we watched intently. We didn't have the music blasting in our ears. In between innings, you can sit and have a conversation with your mom or your dad or my brother. Or to, and talk about the play. It was a relaxing afternoon, and it's not that anymore. Uh, it's just too much noise for me. It drives me bats. They want to keep the people hyped up. Uh, the, 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 the game is, is not the really, I don't think it's the selling point anymore. I mean, based the game used to be the hook to get the people in. I don't, I don't think it's that way anymore. It's just people want to go. It's a social event. And uh, they can go, and they're on their iPhones. They're texting. They're doing video. Oh, you know, it's like it's just like they're at Disneyland. Um, but you know, life goes forward, and um, I feel good to be a part of the game in some way and broadcasting end of it. But there are things I don't like. You go to the Midwest, and you go to St. Louis. They still watch the game. Um, they're not. Uh, it's still kind of old-fashioned there. And the Midwest has always been behind the East and the West Coast. And I kind of, uh, I'm a little more conservative when it comes to that. Is it time to speed up the game because of what you just mentioned? Yes, uh, but I know that Major League Baseball has done their cost-benefit analysis, and they know how long the games can go with that to the uh, where, where where it will uh, not be a negative is for the, them. Is something if, they, lost? if their cost-benefit analysis came back and said they can get away with four-hour games, there'd be four-hour games. So they're talking about trying to slow the game, slow, uh, speed up the game. 
They are whistling Dixie. I don't believe a word of it. Well, they say they're trying to speed up the game because you mentioned it. It's They're trying to court the millennials. They don't have the attention span. Everybody seems to be wanting to get faster, faster, faster. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, but isn't the beauty of baseball that there is no time limit, that you do have to think about if the ball is hit to me on this play, what do I do? If it's hit there, what do I do? The conversation, should I pinch it here? Should I hit to the right side? Has that sort of, that part of the romance of the game, is it gone forever? No, there will always be fans that will that enjoy it. I mean, it's not so much the uh, the player, it's the fans sitting there going, saying those things. Uh, if you know the ball's hit here, should the be should the manager take the pitcher out? Uh, the, the plays in front of you, boy, it was a bad base running error by that guy. It's a summer game. It's a game of relaxation, and the world is spinning at a very rapid rate, and it's uh, it, it has infected everything. So even in the sports world, and particular, and certainly in the in in, um, in baseball, even though we're talking about speeding up the game it kind of sounds like a paradox because the game is long and they're way too long for me but you know you've got a lot of analytics now and little did uh steve jobs and the big old i can't think of his name from microsoft little did they know what they brought into this world when they brought in the computer computers and how it's changed everything and uh, the game has become uh, too much statistic oriented uh, they break it down uh, every little detail you've got all these pitching changes uh, too many pitchers too many three two counts too many teams uh, not enough talent a lot of mediocrity but when you get to the playoffs you see the best four teams or what is it, the two wild cards. So you see the best eight teams. And the the caliber of play, and that's the caliber of play that we used to, that I used to see every day. Even the bad teams when I was playing had, you know, quality players and knew how to play the game, and it wasn't just a strikeout or a home run. It gets quite, one base at a time. It gets quite boring. But... Um, you know, what am I? I have, I've, I've had, I have no power in this. This is what they want, and uh, this is what the public's going to get. Keith, I, you I, can shape perception as a broadcaster because of who you are. So you mentioned Bill Gates and Bill James. You know, he he brought the analytics to to baseball. If if we can pretend, then you do have the power. You are commissioner of baseball, Keith Hernandez. We already know what Yankee manager Keith Hernandez would do: move Aaron Judge to the four hole. What's the first item on Commissioner Hernandez's to-do list that improves the game? I would go to a 154-game schedule, number one, because of the uh, extra tier of uh, playoffs, and you won't be playing in November, like the old days. Um, I'd get rid of the DH, uh, and I'd get rid of four teams. <laughs> but that's not happening. <laughs> no. <laughs> So uh, instead of one thing, I got three things I do. That'd be the top of my list. See, so give a man a little power; he wants a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Keith Hernandez, you, by the way, a brilliant job coming from uh, the field. Now you're a current broadcaster and a great analyst. Keith Hernandez, thank you so much for talking with us. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. Takeaways: Keith Hernandez, he's old school baseball, which of course I love. But he also brought up the point that old school baseball. Not necessarily is what the owners want today. 
uh, they want the money. They want people in, and it's whether they're making their money from cocktails in the outfield. If people are not watching the game, they're just happy to be in the pavilion to have a happy hour. So be it. My takeaway right off the bat, I mean, Aaron Judge has had a pretty good season, mm. a Ruth, the babe Ruth of today. But he wants to hit him number four. He wants he wants that <laughs> six foot seven power hitter in the four hole, not hitting number two. Drop him down, drive in more runs. Very interesting to see moving forward where Aaron Judge winds up in the Yankee lineup. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time for the number of the week, and you have it as number 11. Number 11, and this has nothing to do with baseball. We're going back to basketball, and it's the number of carrots, diamonds, in the Golden (laughs) State Warriors championship ring. I I mean, for me, I think it would take four fingers to fill that thing up. Those guys may be like two. It it looks like a basketball on on their thing, but 11 carats, the most ever put in a ring for any of the major championship sports. And they just had this promotion to give away replica rings to the fans, which I think is really neat. So, but 14 carat gold. The replica is probably something else, but you said giveaway. Something yeah. <laughs> something tells me that some amount of cash will be flowing from fan to team in that transaction. Oh, yeah. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.